Welcome to the Outdoor Feast by Modern Carnivore. If you're new to hunting, fishing, or foraging, we welcome you to the conversation. Get ready for stories and insights that start in the Northeast, but range to the South, Far West, and wide open spaces in between. Now, here's your host, Todd Waldron. Hey, everyone. This is Todd. Welcome back to the Outdoor Feast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Um, I really appreciate it. Back on February 27th, I had the chance to have a phone conversation with Brown Folks Fishing Ambassador David Chang, and that's what we're bringing to you this week on the podcast. Uh, David lives in New York City. He's a fly angler. He grew up in the Northeast. He's an ambassador for Brown Folks Fishing. And so we're talking about uh, his story. We're talking about his journey. He's offering a whole ton of great advice. And we're talking about Brown Folks Fishing and their important mission in helping their community members, people of color, um, to have a safe, accessible community to be able to get started uh, with their outdoor lifestyle and pursuits. This is a great conversation. I want to give a shout out to Brown Folks Fishing. If you're not familiar with them, follow them on Instagram. You can follow David on Instagram as well, uh, Taiwanese Fly Fisher, and uh, check out the cool stuff that he's doing. Um, So I hope you like this conversation. And I I just want to say that looking at this retrospectively, you know, we touch on the question of specific barriers that people of color And for that matter, for people in communities that are systematically marginalized, what specific extra barriers do people face when it comes to getting outdoors and getting started? And so I think, you know, while we talk about that for a few minutes on this episode, it warrants much, much bigger conversations. This is an important question. It's important that we act on it and understand it. And it's one of the seminal questions that we really need to face as a hunting and fishing community. So, you know, I'm committed to exploring that question and learning from communities and supporting communities like Brown Folks Fishing as they work to remove these kinds of barriers and get their members and supporters outdoors. And so moving forward, I just want to continue to amplify those kinds of conversations and then act on them too to provide action and support to help people um, get outdoors you know i just want to reiterate that if if you're somebody that's interested in learning how to hunt or fish or forage that you are welcome here you're safe here and you're going to be respected and uh, thank you for your support and uh, without further ado here's a conversation with david chang brown folks fishing thanks for listening this week, I am absolutely thrilled to be talking with David Chang from New York City. Uh, David is an ambassador for Brown Folks Fishing. He's a fly angler. He's written some blogs on, he's traveled all over the place. Uh, he wrote a blog last year on the Orvis site um, called Exploring Taiwan on the Fly. And David, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Todd. Uh, I'm excited to be here and uh, I'm happy to talk about um brown folks fishing and anything else that just might kind of roll naturally so that sounds awesome so tell us a little bit about yourself um, for the listeners just uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what your fishing journey's been like and and how you became an ambassador for brown folks fishing sure so basically i mean i started fishing pretty much from the moment that i could walk my dad was a a big reason that i started fishing and i grew up spin fishing my whole life um, any free time, we pretty much were out on the reservoir. We did a lot of bass fishing uh, for panfish and other things like that as well. 
So I grew up as a spin fisherman, and as I got older, I kind of lost touch with it for a couple of years. And in the past few years, just over two years now, I've been fly fishing. And that's just completely gotten me back into the angling world and reignited my obsession with it. And pretty much now, you know, whenever I can get out uh, by free time, I'm trying to be out on the water. That's really cool. And so, you know, you, you kind of lost touch with fishing there for a while and you found it again with fly angling. So was that just a, like a life circumstances for you where you just kind of got busy with life and stopped fishing and then, you know, found found some excitement in the fly angling or was it something else? It was pretty much kind of just life. You know, um, as I got older, I got busier um, after, you know, going to college and stuff. I just didn't I didn't really think to keep going out and fishing on my own um, until, like I said, a little over two years ago, my brother, by chance, you know, he had a friend um, who gifted him a fly rod and reel. And he pretty much, you know, he asked if I wanted to give it a shot. So I went and I picked up uh, just an entry, you know, five weight setup. And we went out, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, and pretty much when we started going out, we just didn't stop going and it just grew from there. So, okay. So that's really cool. So you were doing it with your brother. And so what was that like for you switching and then getting into flying? Uh, what was that process like for you? It was great in a way, you know, it really brought back, you know, one of my biggest passions growing up that I, I had, you know, lost touch with, which was unfortunate. And so getting back outdoors, not even just fishing, um, you know, growing up, I would spend a ton of time outside just, you know, wandering around in the woods and, you know, I would go and catch snakes and frogs and turtles for fun. So I've always had a connection with nature and, you know, fly fishing was a great way. You know, I, I found some new places outdoors to go experience and it just got me connected back to, um, you know, the outdoors and nature. And I think that, you know, has had a lot of benefits for me as well, you know, just even for, you know, mental health. I think it's kind of, it's important. It's kind of almost, you know, people say, you know, it's a form of therapy. So it's it's really well said. It is a form of therapy. And it's like, you know, the benefits of just connecting back to the outdoors um, and using fishing as a conduit for that is is pretty cool. And so your your blog on the Orvis site about going, you know, exploring Taiwan on the fly Tell the audience a little bit about that and how you went from fly fishing here in the Northeast to, to making a trip across the world and what that was like for you, David. Sure. So that, you know, I think I got pretty lucky. I actually ended up connecting with um, a guy on Instagram who he hand makes bamboo fly rods and he lives in Taiwan. He's from Taiwan. Um, so I kind of just started chatting with him and, and then it happened that I was going to be traveling out there for my cousin's wedding. And so, you know, we connected, he was gracious enough, you know, he said he'd take me out, show me, you know, some of the fly fishing in Taiwan. And it was really interesting because at this point, you know, it's not really a big thing in Taiwan at all. He said he probably estimates there's maybe no more than like 200 people that might fly fish in Taiwan. It's a very, very small community. Um, so, you know, he took me out just, uh, First day we fished, we kind of just went to a little pay-to-play pond, which is like pretty popular there. You know, people go and sit around a, a little stock pond, and we were fishing for carp. Everyone was using kind of like similar to like a tank hara rod, just long cane poles. Um, and we were there with our fly rods, and he let me try some of his bamboo rods, which is really awesome. And it was carp and tilapia in that pond. And then another day, you know, we actually went out. We, we explored some rivers. Um, he picked us up. You know, he drove us up into the, the rivers there, into the mountains. 
And it was just absolutely beautiful, you know, since it's not a big thing there, you know, we didn't see a single other person. It was just, you know, seeing a new place, a new river, um, new fish. Uh, we fished for Mashir. And I think uh, another fish, you know, I think he called it a bamboo fish. I'm actually not really quite sure what it is, but it was just a super cool experience. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. So the Mashir, what like what would that be comparable to to like a fish here? Like what was that? They almost kind of look like a large chub, okay. um, but you know they fight pretty hard. And you know we're we're catching them on dries. They're rising. They're a lot spookier than I was anticipating, especially you know being unfished too. You know, um, but yeah, it was a fish that I really didn't know much about. Um, so it was cool to catch a couple. It was tough, but you know we ended up all catching you know one or two. So, so that's really cool because yeah, I mean when you, whenever you have a chance to do something that's so different than what you're used to um it, whether it's a new fish or a new experience or in this case both um it's always an adventure and hey i've got to ask you too like with the blog i was reading you said like one of the fun parts of it was like i don't know how to pronounce it but it was like the 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 different like snacks you were eating like shao chi is that how would how would you oh, pronounce yeah, that shao chi yeah it pretty much that. just translates to like little eats and pretty much in mandarin um, and basically, you know, it's just kind of, uh, I mean, when I go to Taiwan, it's, you know, the street food is, is one of my favorite parts, uh, being back there. And basically, you know, there's just so many little stands and the night markets and everything. Um, you know, wherever you go, you know, there's going to be a little spot on the side of the street or a little, a little hole in the wall, you know, where you can grab just, you know, little bites, you know, pretty much what it is. Um, it's not necessarily a meal. You can just kind of pick at it throughout the day. And there's just so many different things that uh, it's there that, you know, you don't see that often here. Um, and, you know, in a way, you know, growing up, I would go back when I was younger quite a bit more. And it, it kind of, you know, makes me feel like like I'm home in a way there. So, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think that that's one of the best parts of traveling. Like, um, you know, as far there's a couple of things that are great about traveling. I mean, seeing new places is great. And then also like meeting people um, just that are going through their day-to-day lives and, and connecting with them. But then also just the food and just Absolutely. finding, yeah, finding stuff that's different um, that you're not going to get when you get back to New York. Um, that's cool. And and so, so you, you fish with your brother and you had a friend there that you fished with and hit through your fishing journey, David, like have you had other mentors or has it been pretty much like, just fishing with a small group of friends and your family? Um, I've got, you know, a small group of friends that, you know, I will fish with more regularly. Um, there are a few, most of these people, you know, that's the one, you know, I would call it a, a benefit of social media. I've met a lot of really, really great people through Instagram. Um, and I've been able to get on the, on the water with a lot of them. And many of them, you know, have helped me along my journey, learning how to fly fish. You know, there've been a few people, uh, my buddy Dave is one of them, you know, he's just one of the most fun guys to be out on the water with. And he's so free with his information, you know, he's willing to help anybody he sees. And uh, he's been a big help as well. And I think another big thing for me, you know, learning fly, how to fly fish and entering that new space was, you know, the fact that I did do it with my brother. Um, and I think when you have somebody to kind of learn with, you can bounce things off each other. You know, you bring two different perspectives to the table. And I think it, it really accelerates that learning process. Yeah, it, it's so true on a couple of different, like for one, it's great to have a friend 
like you've got that's so open and willing to share information. Because I think whether you're learning how to fly fish or you're learning how to ice climb or mountain climb or anything like that, you know, having somebody that's got the experience that's willing to kind of work you through the process is always great. And then just having the support group to accelerate the learning curve, like you said, but also just enjoy all the fun, you know, uh, enjoy the ride on the way. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, it's someone else to kind of get you out there when you might not have gotten out. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you might be a little less motivated if you're not as comfortable in the beginning going out on your own. It can be pretty intimidating. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it. It is. And, and so what's it like for you? You said before we uh, started that you just moved to New York City. And so what's it like being a fly angler in New York City, like just logistically or just lifestyle wise and getting to places to fish and finding places? And what's that whole process like finding other people that have similar passions? So pretty much, you know, I'm still figuring that out in a way, you know, I'm lucky enough, you know, my girlfriend is, has, is a fly angler as well, you know, so lucky for me, you know, we can, we both want to get out on the weekends, you know, and get out of the city and go, go find a river and fish for the weekend. Um, and even just, you know, the little things, the logistics of it are kind of different right now. I was always used to, you know, all my gear was always just in my car. Um, everything was packed up at, you know, at a moment's notice, I could just hop in my car and drive to the river. Everything was there. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, there's a lot more preparation now, you know, you got to get everything together. Um, you know, the night before you got to pack up the car, get out of the city. Um, but it's all kind of, you know, part of the fun of it as well. I'm, I'm finding, you know, it makes it more of an adventure, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it does. And like what I'm finding it with having outdoor conversations with friends across New York city, whether they're living in Manhattan or Brooklyn or out, you know, out in the other boroughs is, you know, there there are more considerations for getting away and doing things like this than just if you lived out in the countryside, you know, so everything is logistics, there's travel involved, there's space, you know, there's having access to gear, all of that stuff, getting out of the city. I think that that's an interesting perspective. Like when you look at it, that it just kind of lends itself to the adventure, then, then, you know, that's pretty cool. And then I also think like, what's interesting too, is like, you know, you're kind of central to a lot of different kinds of fishing in the sense that you could go up into the Catskills, you can go up into Western New York, but you've also got all the opportunities out maybe on Long Island as well. That's um, Yeah, that's you know, somewhere just... I definitely, you know, want to get out to, um, and, you know, and there's Connecticut and New Jersey as well. Um, you know, within, you know, a couple hour radius of New York City, there's so much water to explore. And I think that's kind of one of my goals for this year is to try and fish new water. And I think that another thing being in New York City now for me is, you know, I've, I've connected a bit more with uh, the New York City trap chapter of Trout Unlimited. You know, um, there's that community in the city and it's nice to to have other people that also live here that love to, you know, fish. So it's interesting, you know. Um, to have that community in in the city but all about fly angling and you know getting out and just you know they have uh, events all the time they have high nights Um, so there's there's a great community of anglers in New York City as well yeah it's just a cool group you know and and it's something um, I think that the TU it's just like you were talking about before about just having a community um, of like-minded people pretty neat stuff Um, so David how did you like get involved with brown folks fishing you know you and i were introduced by tracy and mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about that like how you got involved and why it speaks to you and like why you became an ambassador sure so i mean 
pretty much how I became involved was just, you know, after I started fly fishing, you know, I, I started kind of ex- like diving into the whole Instagram world of fly fishing, seeing if I could meet some other people. Um, and I just happened to come across the Brown folks fishing page. And I just thought it was such a great message, you know, you know, their goal, you know, they want to kind of like help with, you know, increase the visibility and representation of people of color and the inclusivity of the whole kind of industry and space. Um, and I just, you know, that kind of hit home for me, um, you know, growing up, uh, you don't really see as many people of color, you know, in advertisements and films about, you know, outdoor spaces, not just angling in general. And it kind of felt like a very welcoming thing that made me just right off the bat, just even coming across it, feel pretty comfortable. And so I pretty much just reached out to Tracy, you know, I, I didn't really think of anything uh, becoming ambassador or anything like that. But I just kind of reached out and said, hey, I think what you're doing is super cool. If there's anything, you know, I can do to help or get involved with, you know, please let me know. I'd love to be a part of it in some way in any capacity. So. You know, I think it's amazing, too. And I came across them on Instagram as well. And I I was just thinking, wow, this is an incredibly cool community. With your ambassador role, are are there any specific initiatives or projects that you've been working on? Or is it just pretty much just like, you know, community building through social media? Or how does that work? So it's, it's a lot of just community building through social media. I know Tracy's got some projects going on. Um, we've done some collaborations with Orvis. They've actually been really great to us. You know, they've been a, a big supporter, um, you know, willing to help out in, you know, whatever way they can. Um, personally, I've been pretty busy right now, but I know I hope down the road, you know, we hope that the ambassadors can all maybe host some like local events um, for people to get out, like whether it be like a free fishing day or just like a kind of like a meet and greet meetup. And, you know, because we have ambassadors all over the country, which is cool. So, you know, to host some local events and get, you know, that local community and, you know, people who may be interested, who don't know how to access or enter the, the world of angling, you know, to have a, a, a place where they feel comfortable to come and, you know, talk to other people. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the community building on the front end is so important because, you know, the other stuff kind of can follow as it goes along and that, you know, as the community grows, but just like having access to that community, just for people to be able to, to find like-minded individuals um, on mm-hmm. the front end through your social is like so important. And and like I was talking to, for instance, a friend of mine named Katrina Talbot, who, you know, she was talking about putting pictures out there of women who are, you know, trying to get started with fishing and with hunting and everything like that. And the more pictures they put out there, the more they built that community, the more people reach them. And it's like, hey, I finally found my community that I feel comfortable with and safe with and being able to like engage them and and to be able to to get outdoors with people that I like and trust. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's it's very similar, you know, like you're saying with getting women out there. It's it's, you know, there are a lot of parallels to that with Orvis and their whole 50/50 on the water thing. You know, and it's pretty much just that same thing, you know, trying to get underrepresented communities and groups of people to to be a little more represented and have that inclusivity. Um, to get people feeling more comfortable to reach out to others or to enter these sports, you know, try something new, um, something yep. they might have always wanted to do, but never really, you know, felt felt like they could or, you know, knew exactly how to. They have they have some people they could reach out to. That's great stuff. And so like any particular challenges that you think like for your community members that are getting involved and getting started, anything that's unique to Brown Folks Fishing that you want to share or talk about or just like in general with some of your friends that have approached you 
through the community, um, what do you think are the like the opportunities and the challenges that they face to be able to break into their outdoor journey? I think, you know, it is kind of just even, you know, just finding a place to start knowing how to enter the space, even as simple, you know, in fly fishing and things like that, even just knowing where to go, um, you know, where you can go, you know, local fly shops you can go to, but, you know, just the gear you need, you know, like where to access rivers, where you can and can't fish. Um, even I think the biggest thing, you know, is just that comfortability of it, you know, um, feeling like it's a, a space that you are welcome to enter. Um, and it's not like, you know, that I think you go out there and, you know, people are going to be rude to you on the stream, but, you know, just that kind of feeling you get, um, to see, you know, people who look like you or something like that, you know, out fishing, um, on social media, I think it's just, it's a little bit easier to kind of ask for that kind of help in the beginning, um, just to get out there or someone to go out with and kind of show you the ropes. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. And so what do you think, like, you know, I, I feel like diversity is so important in conservation and stream conservation and clean water and rivers and angling and for the future of outdoors. Like, what's your perspective on that? So I definitely, you know, agree. I think that, you know, people of color, you know, historically, they have led conservation and sustainability efforts. Um, and I think their voices should, you know, there should be an effort to have their voices be more at the forefront of the conversation. Culturally, a lot of, you know, indigenous people and, you know, and all parts of the world, you know, historically, you know, they work with the land, you know, they use the land, they preserve the land, and, you know, they've been doing it for so long and successfully. And I think that, you know, everyone wants conservation and sustainability and, you know, to preserve the outdoors for the future. So why not, you know, look to people who can help and, you know, spirit that and put their voices in the forefront as well. Um, and I think, you know, even if you kind of just look at representation, you know, demographic trends and things, you know, if you look at the numbers, you know, I think I saw something like the Census Bureau predicts that, you know, in the next 20 or so years, um, the majority of the country's residents are, you know, going to be people of color. I'm not sure what the numbers are, but you know, you get the gist. So, you know, you want those voices and the people who, you know, live in the country, in the U.S., you know, to be represented and to spearhead that and everyone, you know, work together to preserve the the outdoors for, you know, future generations. It's so well said. So, for instance, these these opportunities are for everyone. So everyone should have a seat at the table and to be able to have that voice. Um, and, and I also feel like just, you know, that conservation issues, like like some of the stream access issues that we're facing from a conservation standpoint, climate change and everything like that are really complex. Diversity of perspectives and diversity of experience and backgrounds will just lend to smarter, stronger, more sustainable solutions. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. You know, it's not something, you know, it's not, um, it's something that you see across all different areas, you know, like in the workplace, you know, you know, they've done studies, you know, if you have a more diverse workplace, you know, the success rate of you, your staff, you know, is always higher. When you have different people, you know, from different backgrounds, um, with different perspectives, you know, somebody may see a solution to something that you didn't see earlier. Or if you have, you know, you have a group of people who are all thinking exactly the same, you know, you may not have that other perspective that's needed to kind of figure out solutions to certain problems that exist. That's something that I don't think we talk about enough with the opportunity 
moving forward with building diversity within, you know, our outdoor communities and our conservation voices. Because I think if you look like I'm coming from a perspective in northern New York, um, let's say, I mean, we're talking about fishing here tonight, but let's just say hunting. And it's Mm -hmm. very I'm going to say that, like, the community is generally pretty monolithic, like historically it was, you know, demographically it was pretty pretty monolithic and, you know, baby boomers and males and so forth. And so a lot of amazing people doing great work, uh, but that's not really representative of the fabric of society for even the people, you know, people that want to be in part of it and fish and, and hunt and, you know, find connections to their food, but also just for society and how they relate to us and, and offer the privileges that we have. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, because, you know, it's easy to forget that, you know, even having certain access to nature and the outdoors is absolutely a privilege, you know, that a lot of us are lucky to have. Um, and that's another thing, you know, with brown folks fishing, I think trying to grow community, you know, hopefully in ways, you know, we can try and get people who don't have that access or, you know, have never been exposed to that, you know, maybe give them an opportunity to get out there and experience the outdoors, you know, that outdoor space as well. I love what you're doing. And so, like, from what you've learned with fly fishing here, I'm going to back up to, like, a technical question. But, like, if if you were taking somebody new out on the stream, say, in New York, and just one of your friends that hadn't fly fished before, you know, approached you and said, will you help me get started? What's your advice for somebody that's just kind of stepping into it, kind of off the street, um, that just wants to explore it? I think that my advice would be, first of all, to not overthink it. Um, if you try and kind of learn on your own, you go on the internet, you're going to read everything about fly fishing. There's going to be people telling you to do it every way. Um, really just, just break it down into the basics, you know, like try and identify, you know, where you're going to want to fish, kind of maybe what kind of fishing you want to do. Um, just get, you don't have to spend a ton of money on, ton of money on a rod and reel, you know, get like a starter setup, which is what I did. And it worked great, you know, for a long time and just basically go out learn to read, you know, the water a little bit and basically just put your flies in the water, you know, like learn about the drift and mending and then basically just go out. And if you, that's what I did. You know, if you just kind of keep going out and fishing, you know, casting, if you have your flies in the water, you're eventually going to, you're going to hook a fish. And I think from there, it's just kind of trying to remember what you did or like what the conditions were like, why did you hook that fish? You know, what was happening and what were you doing that might've been right? Cause something led to, to that, you know, and to just also, you know, don't be afraid to approach people on the water. You know, not everyone might want to help you out, but you know, most people are going to be very welcoming out, out on the water. So what I hear you saying is just, um, what's most important is to get out there and try it and just do it and, mm-hmm. and don't get overwhelmed with how much you got to spend on waders or boots or anything like that. Just start simple and find maybe a few people that are doing it and, and ask questions and then just keep at it. And when things start working, reflect on that and, and assimilate, you know, what's working. And, you know, also about people that are trying to be helped. I, I've got an example. You know, we have some family on the big island of Hawaii. And I've mm-hmm. always been intimidated about uh, just taking my fly rod out there and fishing because I just it's so different than New York that um, I've, I've just gone out there. They're on the big island near Kona and it's like reef fishing. And so there's like mm-hmm. a lua and I just never really knew what to do. And so I never took the fly rod. And then like the last time I went, 
um, there was this person there that was extremely helpful. And he's like, hey, Todd, here's all you need, you know, just and he kind of like walked me through the process about the basics of, you know, the streamers that he was using and the weight of the Mm -hmm. rod and and just like when he was fishing, just having somebody like that introduce you and give you some encouragement and some tips just makes the world a difference. Absolutely. Even just that little bit of motivation, you know, you meet, you meet someone nice out on the stream and, you know, you could tell they want to help you. They want you to catch fish. You know, it kind of just gives you that confidence boost. And I think, you know, a big part of it is it's a mental game too. You know, you, you don't want to get down on yourself. You want to, you want to just make sure you're in a, enjoying your time out there first and foremost, you know, so um, don't overthink it. And, you know, like if you want, you know, start with something easier, you know, go to a local pond, you know, fish for sunfish or bass or something like that. Um, and just kind of find out what you like and what you don't like and kind of go from there. Yeah, it's good advice, David. And so where are you at in your journey right now? Like, as far as like, what motivates you? Like, what's your bucket list for what you want to try? Like, what's your assessment of things that you want to kind of like improve on or places you want to go? Um, so some of the places I definitely want to get out to are are going to have to be in New Zealand. Um, I'd like to get out into the Pacific Northwest um, and explore some of those rivers out there, you know, try and catch some West Coast steelhead. Um, if I were destinations, you know, BC or, you know, Labrador, brook trout. I mean, there I could go on and on. You know, there's so many places I want to try and go to. But you can't forget that, you know, probably where you are, there's there's going to be new places to explore too. You don't have to spend a ton of money you can start local, kind of expand, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now, just finding those local places. Um, there's so many streams, uh, you, you know, just pull up a map, you know, drive to some of the streams you see on a map, and it, it might have fish, it might not, but part of that is all, you know, it's all about that. And that's the fun of it, you know, exploring and trying to trying to find these places, you never know what you might stumble upon. I, I love that so much. Um, that speaks to me. So, I mean, I, I think you just articulated that so well in the sense that uh, don't overlook the opportunities that are right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you. You know, I've thought about that, like with New York and and I've traveled out West and I've had a lot of opportunities to travel for the outdoors. But I think back to, I grew up here in New York and like when you look at the opportunities, just the diversity for fishing here it's incredible. Um, if you drew a circle, you know, four or five hours around New York, um, my goodness, you could be up on the Salmon River, you could be on Lake Ontario, you could be on the Tribs, fishing steelhead, striped bass. I mean, you name it. Uh, there's just and and then that's not even the like the the fishing off of Long Island and this you know the sea fishing and everything. It's just there's no shortage of adventure right here it really is and you could probably spend the rest of your life exploring just locally you know and like you were saying especially you know with being so close to the coast you know that opens up the whole world of saltwater fishing um yep. which is also something you know i'd like to when i get some time you know eventually i want to i want to get into it i've gone out a few times with a buddy for stripers and that was a blast um yep. but you know i'd love to to get out on some bone fish and things like that you know get into that saltwater world yeah that sounds amazing so do you do any tying at all uh, with your flies? Do you experiment with that? I do. Um, so my brother and I also kind of started tying together as well. Probably only about you know three or four months after we started fishing, we got we got that starter kit, um, and we basically just sat there and just watched a couple of videos and kind of just went from there. And I think that's a whole other element of 
fly fishing that that can really suck you in you know it might not be for everyone but if you get into that side of things too that can occupy your all of your time as well and you know to be able to tie a fly just put random materials uh on a hook and go out tie it on your line and and have a fish eat it it's just it's such an amazing feeling yeah it is an amazing (laughs) feeling i mean it is it's so cool and then you know there's just something about people that tie flies too like we've had uh well for instance you're talking about trout unlimited we did a and i'm with backcountry hunters and anglers as a volunteer Mm -hmm. we did a uh it was called tie one on and it was um coordinated by my friend Krista Whiteman. It was actually up in the Catskills earlier this year. It's like the first week of January. And you want to talk about a cool group of people. I mean, they did a pint night at uh, Westkill Brewing, which is up in, you know, it's up in the, in the Catskills, like I said. But I mean, people from TU are coming out. They're sure, you know, it doesn't matter if you've never tied at all. I mean, they were just being so generous and so cool. And not only were they making cool flies, but they're just fun people to be around too. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, you know, going to a tie night and just, you know, talking to other people who love to tie, you get new ideas, you experiment, that's the thing, you know, you can, there are the classic patterns that, you know, the go-to patterns, but you can just, you can make things up, you know, just what you think looks like a bug might look buggy and just go out and try it. And that's part of the fun of it all as well. If you had to do, like, I always like asking like this 80-20 question, like if, if you had some advice for somebody that's like, okay this one thing could kind of really help your fly fishing journey considerably, like 20% contributes to 80% of the, um, of the movement and, and helping you move forward. Is there any particular advice you'd have in terms of like casting or anything you've learned um, as far as hacks over the last few years that it really kind of like, that was the moment where you started catching more fish? Yeah, I think, um, Definitely, you know, working on your casting, but also knowing that, you know, specifically, you know, if you're talking trout fishing, that you don't need to go out and be able to cast, you know, 40, 50 feet. Um, It's fun. It can be fun. And, you know, it's it's fun to practice your cast, but you can catch trout right at your feet. You know, Um, when you go to a river, just start right in front of you um, and really just working on getting your drift down. You know, if you can get a dead drift and get the right depth, just kind of keep playing with your depth and your weight. And just kind of fish an area. If there's nothing there, just kind of keep moving along. And, you know, you're going to catch fish. Um, You don't have to, you know, be fishing more than 20 feet away from you for the most part. Yep. I think that that's something that's really practical because I think that most people that are watching those fly fishing films on social media that we were talking about on the beginning, you know, like that's like introducing them to this as a pursuit. You know, I th- I think you just get it in your head that you have to be able to cast 50, 60 feet, you know? Yeah, but you know, you see those beautiful double hauls and, you know, that's that's what you think it's all about. But you don't you don't have to have it. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. It's just like the fundamentals are what helps you over time. And so like any advice that you would have as far as reading streams, like learning how to read streams or just like matching hatches or what you've learned about bugs or flies. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of kind of reading water, um, it kind of depends on time of year, obviously. So, you know, kind of familiarize yourself, um, you know, in the the warmer months, you know, these fish are going to be in faster water, more oxygenated water. You know, they've got they've got a bit more energy. There's more food available. So they're they're willing to expend a little bit more energy. So uh, kind of look at the river and you can kind of see the way it's flowing. You can kind of see where the current's going. And that's where all that food's going to be funneled down. 
um, in general, that's where you're going to find the fish. They want to find a spot where they can just kind of hang out, least resistance, and just have food coming down into their face all day. So if you can find one, you know, you're often going to find more than one fish in that same spot. And yep. then on the flip side, you know, in the winter, there's not as much food available coming down. You know, they, they're, the water's a lot colder, their metabolism's slowing down. So, you know, they're going to hang out where it's easy for them, you know, finding those deeper holes, the slow, deep holes, you know, that's where they're going to be trying to conserve their energy. So, yep. Understanding kind of where you are in the season, what time of year, what the fish are doing, where they should be. And then, you know, where you're going to find one fish, there's a reason for that. And and you're probably mm-hmm. going to find some more. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Anything else you want to amplify? And Sure. So, I mean, the 50-50 on the water is kind of an Orvis campaign to promote getting more and more women out on the water. So, you know, trying to get women involved, um, building community, you know, among women as well, which I think, you know, is, is super awesome, you know, because uh, like we were talking about before that also, you know, brings that a more diverse perspective to to the world of angling and fly fishing. And, you know, the, the more people you have out also, you know, the more people you have at the forefront trying to lead those conservation efforts, uh, the more people you can meet, you know, connect with that are there to help you. Um, and a lot of these friends that you meet, you know, in the fly fishing world, they become friends in real life. So um, off the water. And I just think that it's also such an important movement, um, getting more women out as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I think so, too. And I, I feel strongly about that for a lot of reasons. Um, and just on a very basic human level, because I have a lot of friends that I want to support who like doing it, who happen to be mm-hmm. females, you know, but then otherwise, it's like it all contributes uh, to conservation. It contributes to better decision making. It contributes to the future of conservation funding, right? As more and more people get out and mm-hmm. fish, you know, the, the, the license sales contribute back to stream access and water quality and Dingle Johnson, you know, all of those kinds of things. So there's just a, I mean, on so many different levels, it's such a cool program. So like, what do you think, anything um, you want to talk about in terms of any other partnerships you've been involved with or any initiatives that are coming up? Um, so I'm not, you know, there's a few things in the works, um, you know, like uh, there's been a couple films that have been done by, you know, ambassadors and things like that. But I think a big part of it, you know, that shouldn't go under look is really just a community of people and groups that have also come out in support of brown folks fishing and vice versa, you know, on Instagram and the social media and the internet, you know, there's so many great uh, communities out there that, you know, have the same passions and want to continue this conversation about conservation and all of that, you know, we want to make sure that we can preserve these resources, you know, for future generations and, you know, even near future, you know, this wouldn't exist if we didn't have these resources available to us. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of other groups that are also trying to help out and lead those efforts as well. So, yeah, the one thing I've learned through volunteering, through uh, conservation groups, is like we all have the ones that speak to us individually or that you just kind of get hooked up with, that it works, you meet friends and, you know, you feel like you're doing important work and then you meet, you make friendships and, and those are long lasting friendships beyond just the fun, you know, outdoor opportunities that you get. Um, and then like the other thing I've just learned though is like, working together with a lot of different groups, getting as many groups to the table as possible um, to amplify 
our strengths is I think that that's part of the key to the future of conservation. And so it's not just kind of looking at things kind of from a silo and saying that, you know, this one particular group um, is doing this and we're doing this, but just like getting everybody to the table and figuring out what works and it's a rising tide kind of thing. It's going to benefit everybody if everybody's working together and supporting each other's programs. Absolutely. You know, and like, like you're saying, you know, you make one connection, it leads to another. And all of a sudden, you know, you have a whole network of people that are supporting each other, you know, even just on Instagram, like, these aren't all necessarily specific to angling. But you know, there's, there's a lot of pages out there that are doing, you know, important work, you know, if you just um, Confluence Collective is one, you know, Melanin Base Camp, um, Native Women's Wilderness, Taking Up Space Outdoors, you know, there's, there's more and more um, groups like this popping up now. And I, I think it's really great. Yeah, I love it. So, and so how can people find you? You want to tell us a little bit about how people can find you on social media, how people can find Brown Folks Fishing, um, any way that they can support any of the stuff that you're doing? Sure. Um, so people can find me on Instagram. At, uh, my handle is Taiwanese Fly Fisher. Um, and if anyone, you know, obviously has any questions or just wants to reach out, you know, feel free to to message me and same with brown folks fishing but it's just brown folks fishing on instagram it's also uh brownfolksfishing.com and you know basically you know just uh reaching out and you know being a, a, an ally to the community um seeing what you could do to help you know there's ways to volunteer get involved you know even locally you know with other communities and such um but basically you know just just being open-minded to all of it you know and and finding that place where you can you can contribute to the growth of the community um, and the outdoors in general. And is there anything else that I just didn't ask that you want to share with the listeners, David? I feel like you've been pretty thorough, Todd. It's been a good conversation. I'm, I'm really glad to have uh, gotten a chance to chat with you. Yeah, I, I am too. And I really appreciate your time and I'm excited to connect with you. And, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you. I'd love to be able to connect with you and uh, catch up and and uh, just get to know you in person. Absolutely. Definitely let me know if there's anything happening. Um, you know, we're not too far apart from each other. I'd love to, to have a chance to connect with you in real life. So Sounds great, David. And likewise, if you find your way back upstate, we have some incredible fishing up in the Adirondacks. Uh, I do some fly fishing. I do some some dry fly mm-hmm. fishing on the on the Boreas River and on the Scroon River. Uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to this year that's kind of like a new – well, it's, it it actually was kind of like something that I got into last year is kind of a rabbit hole. But it's um, you know fishing for landlocked salmon on the yep. Lake Champlain tributaries. So they, they run both spring and fall runs. And uh, when the smelt run the tribs in the spring, the salmon follow them. And it's like it's like streamer fishing, you know, and it's springtime right. conditions. But it looks so much fun. It just That's I, it definitely just, a fish on my list that I want to chase. So, you know, I'm going to be making my way up there at some point for sure. <laughs> so let's let's try it sometime together. It's, Absolutely. Uh, okay, man. So David Chang with Brown Folks Fishing. I just I appreciate you being on the podcast tonight. Thanks so much. And uh, look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Todd. Thanks for listening to the Outdoor Feast podcast. You can check out our other podcast and more at modcarn.com.